Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hey, hey, from Nashville. Long time. No talk for everybody. Good to be back. AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, yo. I'm coming at you live from Thanksgiving in two days. Dan Shapir. Hey, from Tel Aviv, where it's summerish again. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. Go get your half off at topendevs.com on the pre-launch sale. This week, we're talking to Tejas Kumar. Did I get that right? That's right. Tejas, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Let people know who you are and why we all like you? For sure. I don't know how you like me, but I'm uh, I'm Tejas. I have worked in tech my whole life, more or less, and I currently work at Spotify, though I'm on the way out. I also speak at a lot of conferences and really enjoy the space of developer tooling and developer productivity. Cool. Sounds like interesting stuff. And Amy was excited about that too. So we might we might get into that a little later. Have you ever really been happy with your project management tool? Most are either too simple for a growing engineering team to manage everything or too complex for anyone to want to use them without constant prodding. Shortcut is project management built specifically for software teams and they're fast, intuitive, flexible, powerful, and so many other nice positive adjectives. Let's look at some of their highlights. Team-based workflows. Individual teams can use shortcuts, default workflows, or customize them to match the way they work. Org-wide goals and roadmaps. The work in these workflows is automatically tied into larger company goals. It takes one click to move from a roadmap to a team's work to individual updates and vice versa. Tight VCS integrations. Whether you use GitHub, GitLab, or Bitbucket, shortcut ties directly into them so you can update progress from the command line. Keyboard-friendly interface. The rest of Shortcut is just as keyboard-friendly as their power bar, allowing you to do virtually anything without touching your mouse. Throw that thing in the trash. Iterations planning. Set weekly priorities and then let Shortcut run the schedule for you with accompanying burndown charts and other reporting. Give it a try at shortcut.com slash devchat and get two months free. Again, that's shortcut.com slash devchat. Shortcut, because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. You mentioned as we were getting ready to start the show that developer tooling is kind of coming along in interesting ways and that like Versal had raised a bunch of money and stuff like that. Do you, do you want to expound on that a little bit and kind of set the stage for our conversation here? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is like hot off the presses. Just a few days ago, we heard that Netlify raised their Series D funding where the company's valued at over a billion. Um, and we just heard as well that Versal, I think today, did the same thing. And with these companies, you know, going super unicorn, I think the future of tech looks a lot like a heavy focus on developer productivity and developer tooling. It's like, you know, putting like jetpacks on web developers mm-hmm. in order to help them just kind of build and ship fast the stuff that they care about without having to deal with the the infrastructure around it. I think that it's also interesting, by the way, and worth mentioning, you know, it's, it happened yesterday or today as we rec- the time of this recording that uh, Remix uh, re- do, uh, released their product as an open source. So that's also interest, really an interesting story in the tooling space. And, you know, they have uh, Ken C. Dodds is a really big supporter of theirs. I think he might have actually joined them. Yeah, he's uh, an employee now. Oh, cool. Nice. Isn't that run by Ryan Florence and Michael Jackson? Michael yeah. Jackson. Yeah, all three of those guys are from Utah originally. That's how I know them because they're all local or they were all local. I think all of them except Kent moved to California. So anyway. Wow. I was going to say, speaking of those two, there is HashiCorp, which does Terraform for DevOps stuff, is also, they're going public. Their IPO is coming up. They're, they were recently priced, but the, the date for their IPO isn't set yet. So yeah, this is big stuff. Wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. And you're seeing this pop up in other places too, like DigitalOcean this summer actually sponsored to talk about their app platform, which looks a whole lot like, say, a Heroku or something, right? So if you have a little bit more involved backend, you don't want to screw with all the deployment stuff there. And and this has been my experience, unless I have a Docker file that's messed up, but that's a different story. My apps just deploy, right? I just push to Git and off it goes. And it's very happy making for me. And, and by the way, Wix, where I still work, kind of like Tejas, I'm on the way out. Big story. Wix is also going really big into developer tooling. I don't know mm-hmm. if we'll get a chance to talk about that probably after all the the stuff that Tejas is is going to tell us about but uh, I might mention that towards the end yeah Yeah. I think the thing that I like about that though is it's here's all the stuff you want to do and then if you don't want to do any of the rest of this stuff you don't have to right yeah yeah and that's exactly it like because I feel like a lot of companies that are starting with with products they, they don't really care about 
like, should I choose AWS Aurora or should I choose RDS or DynamoDB, right? These decisions are just way easier to deal with if someone else makes them for you and you focus on your product. And I don't know. I've been losing sleep over those decisions myself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on whether or not it's core to your product, right? Right, I mean, it, right. That's the thing. I think, so I, I get a little frustrated because I think this stuff gets swept under the rug too much in terms yeah. of people people take things that are relatively simple and say, well, it's no, it's way too complicated. You'll never be able to learn it. Here, use this super complex, expensive tool instead. Mm-hmm. When in reality, if you just, if you learn a little bit about your stack and what you need, you can figure things out and you don't have to use the latest buzzwords. You can use stuff that's, 30 years old. Well, I guess, I don't know, it's not that much as 30 years old, but you, you can use regular databases. You, you get a lot done with standard tooling that's always worked. Yeah, but I think that it actually has to do to an extent with the la- with the shortage of experienced engineers. Like you're, mm-hmm. what you're saying, AJ, more or less, is get an experienced engineer and do it for you. And, you know, a lot of these companies are saying like, but we can't, so <laughs> we need to automate this somehow. Maybe have oh, somebody I, else outside our company do it for us. I, I agree. Automation's good. Like I, I guess, I guess I look at it as more of a problem of documentation. It's, uh, it, it's, it's not very lucrative to explain how to do simple things. If you tell people, oh yeah, all you need to do to get a service started and running on DigitalOcean is just run this one command. That's not lucrative as it is to say, hey, buy this course on AWS and use our autoscaler. But yeah. it, anyway, that's rabbit hole. Yeah. But I mean, like I think the the real pull that that I that I see about these these managed kind of you know infrastructure as a service companies like Vercel and Netlify is that most startups that are VC backed have strict timelines, right? It's like investors want to see those returns, and so if you spend mm-hmm. like six months putting together some API, that's six months of a delay, really, when some tool like um, Hasura, for example, Hasura, in my opinion, is absolute magic, right? This thing like gives you, I don't know if y'all have used it, but it's like a full on, like with full authentication and authorization, just a full CRUD API. And all you do is bring a database connection string. It's like pointed at your database, boom, full API. And that used to take like, you know, six months or something for teams that is now instant with one person. So that's, that's kind of what I mean is that then allows you to build something really fast and go to your investors and be like, look, 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 we have a product. It's, we can ship now. I think we actually had the Sura's CTO on a previous episode or something like that. <laughs> oh, uh, really? Is it uh, is it GraphQL based or something like that? Right? Yeah, it, it started yeah. out being GraphQL based. It's REST. It's REST as well now. So they expose REST and GraphQL. Um, awesome. Yeah, and if you had the CTO, like you, you will know these people are really on it. So Sura, I can think of other examples. Like there's a great startup called Zeta um, X A T A. That's literally just like here you go, have a database and build whatever you need. You know, so a mm-hmm. lot of these. They give power to the builder. And I think that's that's quite profound because even when I started coding, like, or let's say when I started professionally working, my first tech job, a lot of it was rolled your own. Like when I started, we would like upload, we would like deploying meant opening FileZilla and like uploading via FTP or SFTP. <laughs> you know? I'm laughing because I've been there. Yeah. And and we've we've come a long way from that. So the more this stuff evolves, the more I'm like, whoa! It wasn't that long ago I was doing front page and FTP. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if your website is simple enough that you can just use our sync to copy it over, you've done a dang good job. <laughs> or WordPress, yeah. WordPress, yeah, still runs would, on FTP. Yeah, I would say that if your website is simple enough, why are you even building it by hand anymore? Uh, you can yeah. either use web. Yeah, you say that because you work at Wix. Yeah, I still work at Wix. So I, tend, <laughs> I, I intend to remain a stock a stock owner, so I, I, you know, I have an incentive for their success. But, uh, but yeah, but to be sure, I mean, look, I, I can do HTML, CSS, and JavaScript with the best of them, and still, if I need to set up a, a web page, unless I have a specific reason not to. Why not use Wix? It's I don't have to deal with with the back end. I don't have to deal with security. I don't have to deal with updates. I don't need to deal with anything. And I exactly. build it with drag and drop. Exactly. And that's that's exactly what you're talking about, man, Dan, because I think that's where the power is, is bringing as much like as much capability as close to the user as possible that facilitates their app's level of complexity. So if you've got a static web page, absolutely, Wix or Squarespace or whatever. But then when you need a database, oh, shit, what am I going to do now? Can I swear on this podcast, by the way? Or yeah, you can that... swear. <laughs> okay. Good, I, I do that a lot. Um, so you say, oh, shit, I need a database. What do I do now? Um, and I don't know if Wix gives you one, 
Um, but that's why there's actually, things like actually we we uh, it's relatively new. I, I kind of mentioned <laughs> it in pr- prior to our Is to our conversation. <laughs> yeah, it was called. Yeah, exactly. I, I we released this. We will, like I said, probably maybe if we have time, I'll talk about it a little bit later in the show. But we, I just mentioned that uh, we released this uh, programmatic tooling all around Wix, and it does include a built-in database that's like we host for you in the cloud. And it had the original unfortunate name Corvid, which, you know, like two months later when the pandemic hit, turned out not to be such a great name. And we renamed it to Velo. Why is that? <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> uh, to, be, to be fair, I didn't like the name Corvid either, even before the pandemic. But, you know, I'm not in marketing, so who am I to say? <laughs> but yeah, so now it's called Velo. And it's uh, and one of its features is that you get a cloud-based database that you can then buy, you know, you can create dynamic pages and repeaters and whatnot that are data-bound to collections that you store in there, all that sort of thing. So, so yeah, even, even a platform like Wix, which was intention, originally intended for people who are totally not programmers, is starting to branch out to developer tooling. Because like you said, it's a really hot market. Yeah. And and I think really the 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 thing I'm noticing the most, and I'm gonna steal this idea from the CEO of Fasura, but he said there's a shift happening that's been happening for years where power to create stuff on on the web is slowly going closer and closer to the people, like to the creators. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't long ago, like back in the FTP days with WordPress, you know, you would have you would buy some server somewhere in some data center that's super far away from you and essentially pay for and ship code all the way to that. But now you have things like AWS, which is bringing you know virtual machines closer to you. And you have tools like Asura that brings that data even closer to you. And things like Wix that is like literally like the front layer of your stuff. There is a concern there, though. So, for example, if you're running everything on a VPS, you're solid because... Right you own the intellectual property to what you're creating. If you're using Azure Functions, you don't own the intellectual property to what you're creating. You can't, your code is useless. You are exclusively tied into a particular technology and you can't, if Amazon decides they don't like you, as has happened with numerous companies over time, then you just disappear and you have to rewrite your infrastructure for, so this this is the thing where it may be, it's closer to you in some regards, but it's, further away from you in other regards. It depends on where your intellectual property lies. If you just want to put up a blog with uh, marketing material, yeah, it's go at it. But if intellectual property is important, you know, there's there's a, a trap here. That's such a good view. I totally agree. I like that you, you're highlighting the whole spectrum of it because I like I'm myself, I'm prone to just look at, you know, the sexy new MacBook Pros and be like, shit, take my money without considering. <laughs> and that's, just, that, that's just an example, right? But I tend to get very excited about cool new shit without actually considering the whole picture. That's what I'd really appreciate you, AJ, highlighting that. Yeah, but if you're talking about, you know, lock-in and being dependent on some other company, like, and you mentioned, just mentioned Apple Tages. I mean, think about apps for the iPhone. Exactly. Uh, I mean, your lock-in on the, in the cloud has, is nothing compared to the world of uh, front-end native apps, where either Google or Apple more so can just kill you if they decide that they come up with a competing product six months in advance, they throw you out of their app store. Yeah, this happened with the new Apple Watch and the swipe keyboard, for sure. Like someone literally built that keyboard and they just took it off the app store. In the new keynote, they were like, oh, check it out. We have a built-in swipe keyboard that used to be an app before. So yeah, I see that. But I think if, you know, as you mentioned, AJ, if intellectual property is important, I think it ought to be considered to start kind of from day one, going at it from a multi-cloud perspective, using something like Terraform, um, as Amy mentioned, where it, it doesn't really matter where your stuff's deployed. So that if that happens, if AWS is like, we hate you, then you've still got code that works on Google Cloud or Azure or similar. And I mean, if it's really important, I'm not suggesting having like a virtual machine, like not even a virtual machine, like a physical server in a data center is bad or anything. It's just a comment on on the accessibility of everything. Shit, when I was like 12, starting out in code, man, if we had what we had today, ooh, I would have created a, like three, four startups by now. One of them might be a unicorn. Well, um, and I think I think what you're saying, that's really what we're, or at least is the appeal, right? Is that 
I don't have to go manage the database or the database engine. I don't have to go manage the hosting. I don't have to run updates on my server, right? Which is a headache. And, you know, I have a whole bunch of VPSs in DigitalOcean. And if I forget to run the updates, I mean, they just sit there. I had one server that actually got hacked into because I hadn't been running updates because, you know, I'm busy. I'm doing other stuff. And so, was you it know, a, they was were... Was it WordPress instance? Yes. <laughs> but they were... Yeah. Okay. I, I but they were running a Bitcoin miner. But but the thing is, is you can expose yourself to all kinds of things just by not having updated packages on there. And if they figure out that that's what you're running, MySQL or WordPress and, and or I, whatever. And I have to say, I have to say in that regard that, and again, it might have to do with the fact that I'm, I still have the Wix mindset, but a lot of people like tout the fact that they are self-hosted as this kind of big advantage or, or an advantage of whatever solution that they're using. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, with all the security issues and like, I literally see so there's this GoDaddy thing now that turns out mm-hmm. that all the uh, more or less like I, I wouldn't say all because you know I don't want to say something that isn't correct, but a whole lot of WordPress site hosted on GoDaddy were effectively open to everybody. You could just log, connect, and and do whatever. And so this whole concept of I'm self-hosting, I just I really don't necessarily see the appeal. To be, to be honest, from a, a security standpoint, from an uptime standpoint, and from a performance standpoint, maybe if you're like the biggest performance expert in the world, self-host and you'll get better performance. But otherwise, you're likely to get much worse performance if you're self-hosted than if it's a platform that's been optimized by people who are like experts in this particular area. I think that depends on a matter of scale because you're mixing apples and oranges. The people that are running outdated versions of WordPress and the people that are fine-tuning every aspect of their performance are in such separate camps that putting them in the same sentences is uh, deceptive, uh, although that's not necessarily the intention. But I've run stuff on DigitalOcean for years, and DigitalOcean has automatic migration between instances. So you won't find that with with Amazon. Amazon requires that everything be ephemeral. If you leave an instance running, it will eventually fail, and you'll get an email that it failed, and you have to log in and do manual steps. DigitalOcean, if an instance fails, it's migrated seamlessly. Everything comes back up. You don't even know that it failed other than you got an email. And I don't manage my DigitalOcean instances with all the security updates and patches all the time because I just run Node. I don't I don't run tons and tons of services. I follow the same methodologies that are generally accepted. Do you want to keep things small and simple and not run tons of things? And definitely don't run software that you know. Like for example, WordPress is the number it's the number one rootkit of the internet, and and I, that's well known. That's not. It's not a surprise. Oh, I forgot to update WordPress. I got hacked. <laughs> you know, that you know going in when you choose WordPress that you are going to get hacked unless you are. And, and so for, for something like WordPress, yeah, I would recommend you go managed because you know going in there's a burden of security on that. Node has had, you know, the greatest security vulnerability Node has had was that it used the same query parsing engine that Ruby used and there was a denial denial of service regex vulnerability. So Mm -hmm. it's simpler. If you keep things simple and within the grasp of, of your understanding, then I just, I just, I hear so many people that think that, for example, that their static website is insecure. Like they don't, because there's so much talk about security that it's become, it's become the opposite. It used to be, we never talked about security and people didn't know there were security issues. Now we talk about security so much that people think that a static website is vulnerable. I mean, it's, it can be, right? Like with cross-site scripting. Or... Yeah, and it, turned, it out, turns out, by the way, that the biggest security vulnerability with static sites is view source. <laughs> because people <laughs> put stuff in their HTML that they shouldn't, <laughs> like passwords. Hack the HTML <laughs> for the, SS, the social security numbers. Oh, yeah, should I take the API keys out of my JavaScript? <laughs> no, so no, that's that's valid, but using a managed service doesn't solve those problems for you. Yeah. So yeah, I just I, sometimes yeah. they have build checks built in that'll tell you. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I, I love the GitHub. That thing that GitHub, GitHub does, does now it. with the keys. Oh, that is so awesome. I, I read their blog article on it. Totally recommend doing that. So awesome. And you can register your own keys too if you have a service. Anyway. I think sorry. the trade-off though here, what we're talking about is the time and effort you're willing to put in in order to get the performance and the you know, the things that Dan's talking about, the performance, the security, those things versus doing it yourself. Where I'm trying to run all this stuff on my own and I want the site to get deployed and I it takes a lot of that off of my plate. And so I think they're both valid options. It really just depends on what you want to trade for. Well, and I think you have to know enough about the subject matter to know which is better because DigitalOcean is going to run your, your ish just fine. You don't need to, I, I don't, the performance tuning that you need to, so say Wix, for example, Wix does the performance tuning of the semi-static site, right? The the, the semi-static site with all the widgets in it. Wix does the performance tuning on that. So if you're talking about performance tuning of building your own site versus using Wix, I agree. You're going to get better performance out of Wix than maybe out of creating a React app for a generic scrollable content page with a content form. All I can say is that there was this comparison. Google has made the core web vitals data for all the various sites that they look at public, and you can actually segment it by the tools you use to build them. And so they were looking at various e-commerce platforms, some of which are self-hosted like uh, WooCommerce or Magento. Mm -hmm. And some of them are, are services like Shopify or Wix or Squarespace. And it turns out that the uh, hosted services beat on average. If you look like at, at like the, you know, I'm not looking at individual websites. I'm looking at the, the segment as a whole. So hosted services beat the self-hosted services in terms of performance, hands down, like 50% faster or, or more accurately, the probability of having good core web vitals with a self-hosted with a uh, self-hosted service versus a hosted service, the hosted service is probably twice as likely to have good core yeah. web vitals. I mean, this is why you don't host. This is why you don't roll your own crypto as well. You're not going to do it as good as the giants. Well, it, it, I, that's something I also think is a, people get to the point where they don't realize that it's okay to use the crypto package. When, when they say don't roll your own crypto, it means don't invent a new algorithm or try to yeah. change an existing algorithm. So don't go into the SHA-256.js file and start changing how the, it, it works to obscure it. Now, Widevine actually does this, but that's Google and the consortium of, of people. They actually change the way that RSA works so that it's it's more difficult to reverse engineer the video encryption on things like Netflix. But, mm. but with a few rare exceptions, you don't go in and change the algorithm. Should you use RSA? Heck yeah. Of course. Should you use yeah. SHA? Heck yeah. Should you, but th these crypto algorithms, they exist. They've been vetted. The algorithms have been vetted. And then sometimes the libraries have been well vetted. And so you can use things together. But I can see Dodds uh, switched from using, I, I don't know if it was Auth0 or what service he switched from using, but he switched from using that to, to rolling his own and uh, ate his words on his previous year's tweet <laughs> of don't roll your own off. And they did a great example of why, in his case, it made sense. Now, I'm going to say specifically for that, I don't think that makes sense for most people. But I just, I'm just, I want to provide the counter because I think people are told this is too complicated for you. You'll never learn it. It'll take you six months to do anything. And I think that this is a little bit deceptive in that if you take the time to learn the pieces that are important to you, you'll find out what you can save time on and what will cost you more time in the long run. And it's not an automatic, oh, because a service exists, therefore use it. Yeah, uh, for sure. But I mean, you that's know. the whole point, right? Like if you're starting a company and you want to show some stuff quickly, you don't have the time to learn those things and, and so on. So like, but, but you have to learn them anyway. You mentioned Terraform, for example. What's what's going to take longer to learn a bash script that can run your node application and and push it to the, the two API endpoints that you need at DigitalOcean or to learn all of the Terraform ecosystem. So there's that, a cost. That's a big depends. <laughs> it depends. Well, right, right, right. It is. It is because the Terraform might be a lot faster and a lot better, or it might be better to look at the documentation page for DigitalOcean and say, okay, here's the two endpoints I need. You got an updated DNS record, got to uh, start an instance, boom, we're good. I, I want to hear what Amy was going to say, actually, like like more about why it's a, it depends. I mean, that's just a massive depends because very quickly you'll want a tool like that. I mean, in AJ's point, yes, if it's just something like super quick that 
you know, it's just like your personal website and you want to get some stuff up. Sure. But just there's there's so many things there, like the the cost to you want to have everything codified so you know how exactly things are set. So if you want to make changes, just like the dependencies of trying, you know, as, as things start to depend on each other, you can track those in Terraform. It, I could go on and on. But yes, yeah. like like as, as AJ is saying, like if it's something super quick, then of course. But yeah. that said, it, when, when you're learning Terraform too, you're not really learning Terraform per se. You're, you're more just, it's a tool that you could probably learn in like, I don't know, a day. You're more learning the infrastructure of what you're trying to stand up. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, is that, again, you know, back to that idea, you know, you've got Terraform, you've got Ansible, you've got, you know, I mean, I could name a dozen of them that do the same sorts of things. And then you can turn around and you can build the Docker on your own machine and deploy it to any number of cloud services. And so back to our overarching point. There are all kinds of tools that people are investing in. I mean, Docker's a company. It's not just a, oh, that's that's a neat tool that I can run on my machine and then I ha- don't have the works on my machine kind of thing. And you can use Terraform to get into your Docker container, right? And, and do stuff in it, right? I mean, that's how you used to just deploy Discourse, the forum software, right? In fact, I think you still do. It I think it uses Chef or something, but the same idea, right? And so when you run the script to install it, it, ins- it installs Docker and then pulls down a Docker image and does its thing. And so, I mean, to whatever level you want to take this, there's all kinds yeah. of great stuff. But I mean, I just, so the appeal, and I hear I hear the, the inherent like value of learning these things for reals and building your own. Um, mm-hmm. But like, dude, like I'm going to season up because I just quit Spotify. And as you can imagine, like it's a hot industry, right? So like the whole freaking world is in my Twitter DMs. Like I got millions of of these founders of of products and startups. Like, hey, I want to I want you to have I want to have you. Hey, can you join our team and so on? And it's nuts, man. Like everybody's starting a company, and I kind of feel like I'm missing out now because I feel like, oh shit, where's my company? I want to have a unicorn. I want to start a company. Right? By the way, um, I don't think it's about the tech. I think it's about the cheap money. I have to say, I want to hear more about that in a second. I really do. But just to finish this thought. So because everyone's starting a company, I tweeted earlier today that I said, and it's nothing new, really just a cliche, like you, you, you miss all of the shots you don't take. And I feel like when it's so easy to deploy stuff, not just static sites anymore, but like functions as a service, um, even you get like databases as a service and so on. I feel like there's a lot of people taking a lot more shots just because they can, just because I can deploy some random shit to Vercel and forget about it. And six months later, I don't know what their garbage collection policy is, but I don't have to worry about it. So I can start a company, see if it's successful. And if it starts to get traction, then maybe learn how to do the the security and the provisioning myself um, and, and invest more there after I've proven the concept. But, but you know, the, the way to go from nothing to um, MVP is kind of nuts these days. Um, but Dan, what, what were you saying about cheap money? Well, actually, I want to touch on something that you said right now, which is you said that I'll start with something that works really quickly and then think about how to maybe switch it up later on. And I'm arguing that you'll probably end up never switching it up until you're absolutely forced to because you'll probably be busy doing other things. Yeah, yeah. marketing, sales, or high recruiting, because that turns out that that's like the hardest thing right now. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, but what, what I was tra- starting to say before is, is yeah, all, all this tech is definitely making a difference. I think that, you know, the cloud has made it ex- uh, amazing, uh, so much easier to, to bootstrap a business these days. You don't have to buy physical servers. You don't have to buy software. Uh, and and you know, it's kind of like instead of buying a generator, you can just hook up your equipment to the electric com- uh, company and, and start getting the juice. But I think that what we are seeing now in terms of this explosion that you're talking about has to do with the fact that there's so much money flooding the economy. I, I was giving the example before that uh, uh, two years ago in Israel, there were no unicorns, zero. I, you know, when I joined Wix, Wix was already a public company and was valued at under a billion dollars. Okay. Yeah. And now there are more than 20 unicorns in Israel. 
there are 20, more than 20 companies in Israel that are worth more than a billion dollars. And they're still private. I'm, t- I'm talking about private companies, companies that have not yet gone public. Wow, that's awesome. And salaries are going like through the roof. I mean, there are pe- oh, people yeah. are basically saying that if you haven't switched jobs in the last uh, uh, 12 to 18 months, then you're probably underpaid. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And just so people know, it is okay to speak with your employer about that. You don't have to change jobs. You can work. It's probably easier. It's less stressful. You don't have to have that confrontational conversation. But, you know, if you're working in a good place, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, oh, for sure. But uh, you tell me the last time that you heard about somebody talking with their employer and without switching position, <laughs> getting a 50% raise. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking, Dan. That, that's exactly what I was thinking. I've had those conversations with my employer where it's like, hey, I'm pretty sure I'm worth this on the market. And they're not interested until I'm walking out the door. And then they still won't match the offer. Yeah, dude, my first job, man, like my first professional, well, second, I would say, first job in Germany, second job ever. Like after two years, bro, I I appreciated so much in value. And I I had exactly that conversation with my boss. And he laughed in my face. Literally, he was like, what? No way. You, nah, you're not worth that. Come on. Come on, no, that's that's way too much of a jump. We could do like I don't know five k more, which five k more a year after taxes is kind of the same anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in Germany, we pay like forty two percent tax here. So that's, that's what we pay here too. About <laughs> and yeah, same here. <laughs> almost <laughs> same here in Israel. Yeah, the, the top getting tax pretty bad. Here. Yeah, that and so I was able to leave that job and and move to the next one for like a significantly higher amount. We're talking like thirty yep. percent more or something. And as as you said, Charles, they just don't match what the market matches. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com/podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, DevChat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with DevChat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want. Right. So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Well, to be fair, I've seen it work out a couple of different ways. So what sometimes it's, yeah, it's, well, we just don't think you're worth that, right? And so they won't pay you. But more often than not, what I typically will see happen is somebody will go to their boss and they'll say, hey, look, I'm worth 50% more on the market. I'm going to go look. And the the boss will say, okay, good luck, right? Because they know that if they go try and sell it up the chain, it's not going to fly, right? Because the company does, our company does not give out raises of that magnitude. Okay, fine. I'm going to take all my expertise in your systems and I'm going to take it somewhere else where it's not going to do them any good, but I'm not well, doing you any good anymore either. It's it's insane. Well to, well, to be fair, it's difficult for a company to all of a sudden start paying like all of its employees 50% more. <laughs> uh, it's Yeah, it's tough. I have a story to tell, but I'm not going to tell. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just add here that that's partially... So I, I need to say here that that's not why I'm leaving Spotify. Like it's it's not... No, that's that's fair. I don't think anyone implied that, but that's fair to say to be extra explicit yeah yeah Yeah. but um i i do think though this this notion of like taking what you said charles i wanted to comment on that because you said you know if a company is not willing to see how much you've grown and and pay you what the market wants to pay you then i'm just going to take my expertise in your systems and take that somewhere else is what you said that is so valuable the more and more we see things yeah like Vercel and open source mm-hmm. generally dominate the market because like man 15 years ago bro like you 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 were working in mostly like closed source teams where their systems didn't overlap a whole lot i can tell you like before kubernetes was a standard 
a lot of bigger companies were kind of rolling their own Kubernetes, right? And so, yes, mm-hmm. we have some type of orchestrator, but but and so you can maybe take bits and pieces from one company to the next. But now you can full on like use Kubernetes at scale at Google and then leave and go to somewhere else that uses it because there's these open standards, which is, yeah. I think that makes the market hotter. In some ways it does. One other thing I want to point out though is that like I, I just quit a job at Morgan Stanley. I'm not going to comment on why. But this is this is the podcast of people who have quit jobs, it sounds like. Yeah, it's it's real interesting <laughs> about this. But anyway, the, the point is, is that, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff, and I told them this, right? I'm like, look, I'm a talented pair of hands. I can write rails better than, you know, a lot of other people. But you can replace me, right? You can find somebody else that can write rails as well as I can. But I'm I'm walking out the door with a year's worth of domain knowledge on how, what these systems do, how they work, how they're all put together, right? And with some of this kind of gets democratized to the web, yeah, some of that expertise isn't applicable. But the fact that I understand, hey, this is the data we collect. This is what it means. This is how we scrub it. This is how we put it into reports. This is how we do all this other stuff. It, it doesn't do my next employer any good, right? That, that stuff, you're just, it doesn't. And I made this point because somebody else left who had been working on this project for like seven years, right? Wow. And I said, I said, I can't believe you let him leave. Right. Yeah. Because what he knew in the context he had was super valuable to them. But oh, yeah, for sure. But and I, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. I always like to joke that when people ask me if I'm worried that, you know, with with code being essentially visible on the Web, that somebody would uh, steal my code. And I always like to say, if they steal my code, good luck to them trying to figure out what it actually does and how it works. (laughs) So yeah, there is a ton of expertise that has to do Mm -hmm. with being familiar with a particular code base. But I definitely do agree with Tejas that there is so much commonality these days. We all use use visual code. We all use GitHub. We all use... uh, You forgot Vim. We all use Vim. (laughs) (laughs) You use Vim. The cool kids use Vim. Where was no, I? I don't don't ever. When have I ever been accused of being a cool kid? When you said you used Vim. No, no, no one's ever accused me of being a cool kid. The cool kids I, are using VS Code. I think I opened Vim a while back, and the only reason it's still running is that I can't figure out how to close it. Ah, um, we got a dev joke. The old joke. The old joke. The old joke. You couldn't read the page that pops up when you opened it that said, "Here's how to quit Vim." <laughs> It's okay, H A. Just switch modes, and you won't be a cool kid anymore. Well, well, to be to be fair, to be fair, I was using Vi way back in like the nineties before it was cool. So before Tejas was born, yeah. Well, you said that I didn't, but but yeah. getting back to my point, there's so much commonality with tools like like you mentioned Kubernetes and uh, Terraform, mm-hmm. and and everybody's using the same two or three cloud providers, and it's. So wherever you go, you you definitely do get a jump start for a lot of of the stuff that the company that whatever company is using, and that and or and of course I forgot to mention React, like it's React everywhere. If you know React, there are a million companies where you could work and use React. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, that's always been a thing with well, I know Rails or I know Express or I know React or I know Angular, right? is you walk into another Angular project and they're a lot of times organized the same way. They use the same plugins. They kind of do things in the same way. And so that's always been a thing, but now we're seeing it in our tooling. At the same time, I think there are instances where you may not want to do that, but for the most part, I agree. The reason is, is because if I have a specific problem to solve and you have the specialty to solve it the right way or in a particularly powerful way, you know, so that I don't have issues with it or whatever, you're more valuable to me than the generalist. The flip side is, is that especially for people who are kind of coming up into the programming community. So if you're newer, you're a a junior or mid, you need to round out some of those generalist skills. And the reason is, is because you're probably looking for a job and not necessarily the best job you can get. And So so basically you're saying, you're saying, start out as a generalist and then you'll know what to focus on? Is that what mm-hmm. you're kind of saying? Basically, and then at the end of the day, right, because then t- then you're in a position like Tejas and, and somebody's going to go, oh, you really get this particular tool or technology or problem that we need to have mastery on. 
And then because you're in a more limited market, right? There are only so many people who can do it. You may be the only one they can find. And so they'll pay you what what that skill is actually worth instead of paying you a salary that the programming generalist skill is kind of worth. But I want to touch on, uh, they just, I just wanted to say one thing, though, that the speciality that you mentioned, that is the ability to being kind of a quote-unquote public figure, speaking at conferences, writing articles and whatnot, that's especially valuable these days. Because while money is relatively cheap these days, it used to be that for startups, the, the biggest challenge was raising funds. And now they're in a situation where in a lot of cases, money is literally thrown at them. Whereas recruiting the talent has become a lot more challenging than it ever has been. And you are an attractive figure in that context. You know, if I hear that you join company X, I'm saying, hey, that's an interesting company. That's a cool company. Tejas works there. I know about Tejas. I know the stuff he does. I want to work there as well. So whomever hires you, I bet that they market the shit out of it. The fact that you joined them. I'm going to cut y'all off here. Oh, Amy. that's I do. I I have a contrary thought here. So I would say, depending on the person, to me, it's a little bit of a red flag. I don't want to work on a team with somebody who is speaking a ton because I see them as somebody who's not going to be as dependable as somebody who kind of flies under the radar at work because they're always taking time off to do those kinds of things. So it it's a little bit, I don't know. <laughs> There's a catch-22 there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Can I add to your point here real quick, though? Because I've seen it also work where places that are having a really hard time finding qualified people, they, if they look at the podcasters, bloggers, YouTubers, speakers, and they, they go and they watch some of their content, they pretty readily can tell that you're capable. And so... You know, I mean, that it's, it's all a trade-off, right? Because, yeah, what Amy is saying is ab- absolutely realistically the case, right? You're not around as much because you're traveling. But on the other end, if they can't find anybody and because or the last few people they've hired haven't been qualified enough to get the job done, then it's, well, Tejas is low risk because I've seen his talks. He really understands it. And so I can go and I can pick him up. And so I can see them doing that. And then, yeah, coming out and touting, hey, look, this guy that you've seen at the conferences that is clearly an expert because you see him at the conferences. Well, but it's easy to frame you that way. Expertise is a function of perception in the, in the category we're talking about right now. So if I circle us back to where I think it more or less got off, uh, I think that The point that we were talking about was the whole concept of being a generalist versus being a specialist. And if you do specialize, then specialize in what? And you, just brought up the the possibility of, of specializing, as it were, at speaking in conferences and being more of a public figure. Well, it depends, right? It depends on what you're into and what your key strengths are. For me, like I just, I tend to be good at, but I I think to, to, to your point, Dan, what I would say is specialized, I tend to see a lot of value and not just me, companies would pay huge amounts of money for, I don't know how else to say it other than je ne sais quoi, right? This French phrase that means I don't know what it is. It's something, but like a subjective quality that clearly differentiates a specialist from the general. And like, it's so hard to put a, to put a finger on this because like, there's a ton of people who could speak at conferences, but there's no one who speaks at conferences like me. What does that mean? I have no idea. Right. It's the same as why there's really not that much of a competitive market for like stand up comedy, if you think about it. Like Kevin Hart and Chris Rock and Aziz Ansari and Trevor Noah, like they all are quite successful and they're not really at each other's throats because each of them does the specially the special thing in like different ways. And so if you ask people what's the difference, they all tell jokes. It's oh, I don't know, there's something about them. This is also you see this in like everybody says there's a certain feel of Apple products. And, and Apple has this kind of reputation, but you ask them, okay, how is this different from like a, an identical, like a Microsoft Surface or something? Mm-hmm. And, oh, I don't know, it just feels, there's something about it, it just feels right. So I think that is the specialist's edge in a generalist world, is, is finding the, the je ne sais quoi that, that you enjoy, if that makes sense. 
look, yeah. uh, the, speaking at conferences is one form of specialization and something that I think all of us here do to a greater extent than most. I think although they just you're ahead of all of us no. uh, in that regard. I think so. Uh, although to be although to be fair, you know, we were talking about uh, traveling and the impact that that can have on uh, your availability at work. And I'm thinking like, who's traveling during these times? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I want to be traveling. I can't. This That will actually be one of my picks. But a point that I made before was that uh, the advantage of, of hiring somebody who specializes in public appearances and who is a, himself a public or herself a public figure is that it, it raises the, the appeal of uh, for other developers of uh, of working at that company, I heard person X at uh, at the conference. He seems very knowledgeable, and you tend to like people like that, and you want to be around them and work with them. And uh, I said, you know, at the beginning of our conversation, that money is much easier to get than it ever has been for yeah. uh, startups, but acquiring talent has become really, really difficult. And therefore, if you can hire somebody who will attract more talent to your company, then Mm -hmm. that in and of itself has a lot of value. That being said, that's not the only form of specialization that you can take uh, in order to become attractive to a company. For example, I've specialized in web performance, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and and that's a fairly attractive area for for having expertise in at these times. You can specialize in other things, obviously. Yeah, I was, yep. was going to add something here too, really quickly. Like I'm seeing more and more DevOps teams. Like if people want to take their specialization in just being a developer and joining a DevOps team, like that's kind of what I did. And there's a huge need for that because I would say majority of the people in DevOps have more of a systems engineering background. And so a lot of DevOps teams are like really hungry for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Wasn't DevOps kind of invented so that developers can do their own ops and all of a sudden we have people specializing in DevOps? It's more an approach of doing it together. Yeah, we we did an episode about some of this on adventures in devops <laughs> yeah and it was to dev or to devops right i mean then we had a big conversation about it but yeah it, it's definitely an interesting place to go to and yeah it doesn't if you're going to do the public stuff it doesn't have to be speaking right it can be uh yeah. blogging it can be podcasting it can be youtube it can be tiktok it can be wherever people are going to congregate and consume your stuff uh you know instagram yeah. stories i mean if that if that works out for you i mean i i don't know how realistic yeah. some of those are but or you could, I mean, it could even be open source work. Mm-hmm. Like that's I know so many people who got hired just because they opened a pull request against some open source project. Yep. And the next thing you know, they yeah. Yeah, but what what it all boils down to, it should you have your je ne sais quoi, but the je ne sais quoi that you put out there effectively drives people to trust you, right? And that's what they're really yeah. after. Is they're they're after a more sure bet, right? They, they want to be able yeah. to trust you to get the stuff done. They want to trust you to work when you are supposed to work. And so that that's the kind of thing that we're really looking at here and what makes the difference. And kind of taking this full circle back to the, the tools and things, right, is if they see you using some of the common tools that look a lot like yeah. the tools that they're using, that's another form of that trust, right? Where it's, hey, you know, in my podcast, I talk about, Lambda functions and Lambda functions look mm. a whole lot like Azure functions and look a whole lot like these others, right? The APIs aren't identical, but the concepts are pretty close. And so I know that I can pull you in and you can plug into my microservices architecture and make stuff work, right? Even if you're not using the exact same cloud technology that I am. Yeah. And and that's another form of trust. And so what we're back to here is, yeah, it, it allows you to go deep. You don't have to be a database specialist or a deployment specialist or an infrastructure specialist. You can be a JavaScript specialist and you can still deploy your stuff. You can still put it out there where people can see it. You can still get the help that you need from some of the other tooling that exists in VS Code or what have you. And at the end of the day, you're productive. You're getting the stuff done that you need to do. And I, anyway, I, I think it's really interesting where this is all kind of uh, come to yeah for sure we, we've gone from these companies <laughs> g- have being um, worth a lot of money to developer tooling to setting a developer's career up for success via specialization mm-hmm. for sure 
Yep. Now I need to take off in like ten minutes, so I'm going to push us toward picks. But picks. Yeah. Yeah. We we didn't explain that aspect of of our show yeah. to Tejas in advance, so you <laughs> yeah. just hear what we do and then you try to do the same. Awesome. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, this has been really, really fascinating. I'd love to see more uh, discussion of it in comments on the podcast episode. So yeah. When is that going up? It'll be several weeks. I think we're about a month Um, ahead. And by the way, we definitely will want to hear who will be the lucky company that ends up hiring you. Yeah. 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 Or alternatively, if you do go and and raise cash and start your own thing or things. Well, see, I don't even know I'd need to raise cash to start my own thing because Vercel and Netlify just make it so approachable. Right. <laughs> well, and that's well, that's the raise, other discussion. Is, well, you yeah. raise cash because you can, not because you need to. <laughs> yeah, because money's cheap. Right. Right. Yeah. That's that's the thing. Man. I'm seeing so many companies start up with like 100 people who don't have any investment, but it's just like bootstrapped and they're just mm-hmm. doing their own thing. And it's like a small family type business. And I'm into that. I'm more into that than like VC backed stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see. That's a whole other set of trade-offs, right? Yeah. And some of them Definitely. work for you and some of them don't, depending on what you're doing. But yeah, let's go ahead and do picks. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance. I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. I'm going to make AJ go first. All right, I'll do it. I will do it. Okay. Pick me. So I'm going to pick just a couple of blog articles here. I think most of them and books, most of them I've picked before, but they're all relevant to the discussion that we've had today. So the first one is why it's okay to over-engineer your blog, which I think is a great blog post that goes counter to most of my arguments about why you should you know, take it to the hilt on, on doing the, the Kubernetes and everything, uh, mostly because you you get experience and and you get that, that generalization that we were talking about a little earlier. Another one is 12 steps to better code by Joel. And I always forget it's Spursky. Is that how we say it? That he's the stack overflow. Joel Spolsky. Spolsky. Joel Spolsky. Yep. Joel Spolsky. No, uh, no, that is that's the other one. Coding horror is oh gosh, now I'm blanking on his name. Normally I'd have it. Talk that's about. all good, but anyway, yeah. So I think he was more on the business Atwood. end. Yeah, Jeff yeah. Atwood and Joel Spolsky. Joel Joel Spolsky, I think, is more on the business end. He's more about process and procedure, and Jeff Atwood is more in the bits. But either way, they just have such excellent blog articles, both of them. But Twelve Steps to Better Code is a good one that I'm going to point out. And then there's a book. So we, we, one of the things that's a little bit, I think, confusing is we, we talk as though it's a one size fits all, but, but it, it's not. Because if you're starting a business with less than 100 people versus if you're venture backed versus, you know, if your plan is to sell and the intellectual property is not important because you're just going to sell anyway, you know, all these things make a difference. So if you are somebody that's starting your own project and you think you might want to make a business out of it, Nail It Then Scale It is one of the best books out there to help you view the perspective of when is it premature optimization to throw Kubernetes at a problem? They don't talk about this stuff, but they talk about the concepts. When is it When is it premature automation? Uh, when, when are you wasting time trying to be cool versus doing what you need to do? Uh, and, that's and, an awesome title. That's an awesome post. Yeah, it's so then the Phoenix Project is a story about DevOps. And I think mostly we, I I would say we we haven't been talking about developer tooling today as much as we've been talking about DevOps. And the Phoenix Project is an excellent, if you, if you want to get in management at any point, this is a book that you must read if you're going to, yeah, but it, and it's entertaining as well. It's, it's told as a story, but it's the story of every place you've ever worked at as they figure out how to get their DevOps together. 
And then after that, it's just my, well, mostly normal stuff, but I am going to put special emphasis on webinstall.dev because that is for developer tools. That is uh, there. We've got cheat sheets on how to do things the simplest, dumbest way possible so that you can use cool tools that, well, sorry, I shouldn't use the word cool because tools that are really, really useful and help you to be effective and efficient, such as RipGrep, which is a, a, a modern replacement for grep, Serviceman, which allows you to turn systemd configuration into a simple one-line copy and paste so that you don't have to learn all the intricate details of every option, uh, which is perhaps what might uh, deter you from, from using simple services like DigitalOcean to, to host on. The best way to install Node, Golang, uh, con all conflict-free installs, all stuff that's just guaranteed to work without sudo, without messing up your system, et cetera. And then, and then the rest is just my normal stuff. Creedsacrossmanship.com. Feel free to drop a comment there. If you've got a great blog article or video or something, I'm always adding to that list. And then you can follow me on the live streams on the Twitches, the YouTubes, the, the Twitters, the, 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 all the things. So I've got that there. Awesome. Dan, what are your picks? Well, as I've mentioned several times throughout this podcast, I'm leaving Wix, and so I wanted to pick Wix. I've spent seven and a half years there. It, uh, I think the best years of my career. It's, uh, it's an awesome place to be at. The, a great uh, company, great products, great technology, but most of all, great people. I had a wonderful time working there, and uh, I'm leaving not because <laughs> I'm dissatisfied with it, but because... I, you know, I'm just looking for the next adventure, as it were. And maybe I'll share what it is on our next show. And so that would be my first pick. And, you know, we were supposed to kind of talk about tooling. I kind of mentioned that Wix does have developer tooling. I know that a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, like, don't consider Wix to be something that they might actually be using as developers. And, you know, maybe we should bring somebody over from Wix now that I'll no longer be there to talk about some of the stuff that's being done there, because I think that that should definitely, that's the point of view that should definitely change. So that would be my first pick. My second pick also kind of has to do with Wix. And it's uh, an article that I just published on Smashing Magazine. So it's a uh, uh, it's not only also only about Wix, it's also about me, uh, because I wrote this uh, article. It's a case study of the work that we've done at Wix to improve the performance of websites hosted on our platform. Just to give an example of what I mean in terms of improving performance, about a year and a half ago, only 4% of websites hosted on the Wix platform had good core web vitals. And now it's uh, something like 35%. And so it's like, what, 750% higher, something like that. So it's quite an improvement and it's uh, ongoing. So I'm leaving Wix with a significant uh, sense of achievement, having contributed to that. And I think it's a useful article. Also includes a lot of useful suggestions, I think, about building a culture that supports a performance at at other organizations. So I think I think it's actually a nice article. So please read it, and that would be my pick. And that's it. Great, Amy. What are your picks? I'm going to go try to go fast here since we have four minutes. I am going to pick an article called "A Gentle Introduction to GPUs Inner Workings." Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Tip for me. Nice. I'm going to throw out a few picks of my own. Topendevs.com. We are doing our pre-launch sale up through my birthday. So uh, that's December 14th. And, Which is also my wife's birthday. Nice. It's it's always funny to see how that happens. And anyway, so uh, you can sign up. What we're looking for is we're going to be putting out videos. Basically, the idea is is to learn something new every day. And so we're going to be putting out content. I'm working on content around like Visual Studio Code. I, I want to talk to AJ about some of his Beyond Bootcamp stuff and see if we can work some of that in. Talk to some other folks, just kind of get some of the general tools that, that people could learn better. But the other thing is, is then have something like one or two video series about JavaScript. So you can watch a video or two there every week or go pick up something else or refer you to other resources that may help you out. And then we're building a community around it to help encourage each other and keep going and allow you to meet new people as well, because I feel like that's another big piece of it. So go check it out, topendevs.com. Um, I need to just put together a video and just explain what, what we're looking at putting together there. But anyway, yeah, check that out. Board game pick, I'm going to pick Scythe. It is a super cool game. 
basically, you have a board in front of you and you move the worker from one space to another and you kind of unlock different abilities on your board and you get points for how you do it. And it's it's a super fun game. I mean, it is just a worker production game as opposed to some of the like the deck building games and other games that are out there. But yeah, really, really enjoying that. I do appreciate a lot of my coworkers. I just left Morgan Stanley. And I, so I want to shout out to them because they are awesome, including the ones that left before I did. And then I had something else, but I can't remember what it is. So I am going to punt and let Tejas throw out some picks. For sure. It's just three picks, really. The first one is, and I'm going to pick like lesser known things because I feel like everybody knows Vercel and so on. But since the topic was kind of sort of developer tooling, Three picks, lesser known things. Number one, Zeta, um, or Zata, I'm not entirely sure, but xata.io wants to be this like Jamstack database as a service kind of powerhouse for developers. It's pretty cool. I don't know if y'all remember GraphQL, but it's like that, but Mm -hmm. I don't think they have GraphQL API. But it's like, you know, it's a, here's a database. Now connect your WordPress and do everything. So it's, I mean, WordPress, okay, bad example, but you get the idea. Number two is Hasura, which I've already mentioned. I want to pick it as the API builder of choice because it has never failed me, giving me a full-on API with zero effort. So huge shout out there. Um, And the third one, unrelated to code, really, but since you did the board game, I'm going to hit you up with a PS5 game. Deathloop is the best video game I've played to date. I can recommend that for my PS5 people out there. Cool. All right, Tejas, if people want to connect with you online, ask you questions about this, follow up on the conversation, I'm assuming you're on like Twitter and... Twitter is the best place, at Tejas Kumar underscore. Yeah. Okay, very cool. Well, thank you for coming. This was fun. Awesome, for sure. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. All right, folks. Until next time, Max out. Bye. 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 Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.